Hey everyone, it's Susan Pierce Thompson, and I would say welcome to the weekly vlog, except it's not. It's actually the first ever vlog re-record. So I've never had to do this before, but last week after the weekly vlog came out, uh, I pulled it down. Um, and there's been no vlog up representing last Wednesday all this time. It's now early in the following week. And um, so this is a vlog re-record. So I'm, I'm recording a do-over, <laughs> a do-over. And I'm gonna tell you why, and then I'm gonna do it over. Um, and I guess I just wanna preface by saying um, that it's my 14 year anniversary of starting, I don't wanna say Bright Line Eating, because it wasn't Bright Line Eating then. Bright Line Eating's only been around for two and a half years, but it's the 14 year anniversary of me eating this way and you know, uh, weaving all these tools and habits and disciplines into my life. I started, of course, in a 12-step program for food addiction 14 years ago. Um, that anniversary actually was yesterday. If you've heard me talk about May 23rd as that anniversary date, um, I'm actually claiming May 21st. May 21st was the first day, that was a Wednesday night in 2003. That was the first day that I went to a meeting and I got myself a sponsor and I got the food plan and I wrote down my food that night and then the next day I started off eating only in exactly that. The reason that um, I used to count May 23rd as my day of starting was that May 21st after I went to the meeting, I got home and finished off something that was in the, ice, in the, in the freezer um, and I finished eating it like just after midnight. And when I talked to my sponsor the next morning, she's like, oh, if that was after midnight, today can't be your first day of abstinence. And so my first day of abstinence was the following day officially, which was May 23rd. But now sort of with the, with the heart of Bright Line Eating, I look back on that and I say, that's pretty silly. Like I started on May 21st, the day that I went to that meeting. I got a food plan, I got a sponsor, I wrote down my food the night before, and that Wednesday night at that meeting was the day that I started. So May 21st, 2003 is my anniversary date, which is 14 years ago. And I think it's kind of um, apropos <laughs> that as I'm telling you this, I'm having to record the first ever vlog re-record. Um, and the reason I think that's apropos is that you know, the Bright Line Eating journey is characterized by like um, ever deepening levels of squaring your shoulders to what's real and owning your own mistakes and allowing for imperfection. Even if you're not breaking your bright lines, um, the journey is not perfect. And especially if you're not breaking your bright lines, the journey is imperfect. And it's not um, often what we wish it were. And there's something in Bright Line Eating about how we take that imperfection that we so wish didn't exist and we fold it into this incredible mosaic of um, it making our journeys so rich and so fulfilling and so more than perfect, like beautiful in their imperfection. Like we just become rock stars of unstoppability by facing what feels flawed and awful. And I have a feeling that this is gonna be a great vlog, even though it's coming out on a Monday, which never happens. And you know, it should have been out last Wednesday and I shouldn't have made all the mistakes that I made in the vlog last week and shoulda, 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 shouldna, 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 shouldna. Don't shit all over yourself, uh, someone used to tell me. 
So anyway, so what what was wrong in the vlog last week? Well, um, I got vlog topic suggestions like I do from my director of content creation and my head of content creation sent me a bunch of options and I picked this one and uh, it was two sentences long and it was intense. It was about like self-loathing and loathing body image and uh, if I can't afford to get plastic surgery, you know, um, uh, how do I accept myself um, when I get down to goal weight? And it was just two sentences and I recorded kind of, a, I don't know if it was scathing, but it was like, it was a pretty confronting like, hey, you know, plastic surgery isn't going to make you feel different about yourself. If you have a loathing body image now, it's not going to change. I used her first and last name and in the comment section down below, she like, uh, told me what time it was. <laughs> um, and she said, like, you blew it. Like, first of all, why did you lift those two sentences out of everything I sent you? I sent you this long thing and she copied it in there. I sent you this long thing and you selected these two sentences to focus on. What about all my backstory? What about all the context? And how dare you use my first and last name? Like, I didn't give you permission to do that. And I was like, whoa. So I got on the phone with my team and we unpacked what had happened. So those two sentences were all I ever saw. That's what I thought was the full vlog submission. And the first and last name being present there, I thought meant that whoever sent it in had given permission for me to use their first and last name. And um, so I had all kinds of assumptions and my team had all kinds of assumptions about the way we were handling vlog topic submissions that turned out to be totally uh, unfounded and there was lots of miscommunication going on. So my team and I unpacked it and basically um, it was a it was a cross wire thing between our customer support division here at Brightline Eating. They field all of the stuff that comes in that people send in through the support center and they divvy it out to where it needs to go. And the head of content creation who manages me essentially with all the emails we send out and all the vlogs and all that, she's the one who is sort of the project manager of all that and makes sure that all the content goes out right and um, that I am recording what I need to record on time and well and all that. And those two divisions um, had, had a miscommunication where customer support thought they were being helpful by creating a Google Sheet that only had the essence of the topic for each vlog submission and that we would know on our end that if we wanted to use one of those vlog topics to go use the reference number that they'd put in the corner and source the whole text of what had been sent in from our system. And head of content creation didn't know that that's the way it was set up and thought that that, like I thought, thought that that was the whole complete verbiage of what had been sent in. And nobody, except back in the day when I was the one doing all this by hand, nobody was thinking of like, hey, have we gotten permission to use this first and last name? I used to be very, very careful about that when I was personally receiving all the emails and like I would call people often and say, hey, I'm gonna use your vlog topic this week. Can I use your name, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I, I guess I just assumed that my team was passing along to me a first and last name only if, if it meant that I could use it. So with all that miscommunication in the mix, I recorded this vlog, which I thought was great and totally blew it, like threw this poor woman under the bus with like, you know, sort of uh, telling her the time of day with uh, my suggestions about like how she should think about her plastic surgery and self-esteem and all that, that was feedback that, that was completely not what I would have given her. 
at all if I'd have read her whole thing, if I'd have had access to her whole thing. Um, and I used her first and last name. So um, I called her yesterday. I mean, first I took down the vlog as soon as I found out there was this huge kerfuffle. I took down the vlog. I texted her. I got my team to give me her phone number. I texted her and I, I, or I, I called her. I left two voice messages and then she texted me and I texted her back and we set up a time to talk. Uh, in the meantime, I took down the vlog and um, I talked to her yesterday for quite a long time. She's a sweetheart. And I asked her, um, well, first I just gave her a lot of love for like having been thrown under the bus like that and having been the recipient of feedback that had landed so wrong and the exposure of her first and last name being associated with that and and through that conversation you know we talked about uh, lots of stuff and and at the end you know it's kind of like hey how would you like me to make this right you know I can record another video and that's what she wanted that's kind of what I, what I was thinking and that's what she wanted too um, and then we talked and we agreed that we could put the original one down below so if you're curious what I recorded first you can see it down below, but she asked that all the comments that, that were underneath that one be removed. So it's a fresh slate of comments down there, so you won't see any of those old comments. Uh, if you want to comment to this video afresh, you can down there, but the old comments are removed. And she said I could use her first name, but not her first and last name. So in that video down there, the, the part where I say her first and last name has been spliced out. I think through the rest of the video, I just used her first name, which um, is a fairly common first name or at least nickname, it's Bunny, which, you know, uh, plenty of people go by the, the name or nickname Bunny. So she said that was fine to use her first name. Uh, so that's remaining in that video down there. And then this is my uh, mea culpa do-over video here. So um, let me just read what she actually sent in uh, in the first place, what I didn't have last time and what uh, would have left me with a whole di different impression of what her concern was and, and how I should respond to it. So let me read this to you. Okay. Susan and team, I love your program and all that it offers. I'm still trying to stop beating myself up for regaining most of my weight. When I finally did get to goal weight once in my life in 2013 at age 40 years old. How I was eating, of course, was part of the problem but also having been morbidly obese for more than 10 years, I looked awful at goal weight, worse in my mind than when I was heavy. My goal weight was 145 pounds due to the fact that I had a good 15 pounds or more of sagging skin on me. I'm five foot three and I would be thrilled just to get into the normal range on the BMI chart. You recently talked about body image, but my issue is a little different. If I can never afford to have plastic surgery, how do I overcome this loathing body image that could sabotage my success? I hope the answer isn't months or years of therapy. It was hard to feel excited about my size when I did reach goal weight. I couldn't wear shorts or sleeveless shirts or dresses and forget about a swimsuit. Not that I wear any of those now, but I just couldn't feel good in my body, even at goal weight. I am missing out too much of my life. I am missing out too much of my life due to body image. Thank you for any insight and for Brightline Eating. P.S. I'm down 45.6 pounds after 10 weeks of boot camp. I still have over 100 pounds to go, 
but I will do it with Bright Line Eating. Um, <sighs> so bunny. I mean, you and I talked for a long time yesterday. So, um, yeah, I have such a different feeling about your question, hearing all of that context. Yeah, your question's not about loathing, self-loathing. It's, um, it's, it's really a practical question. And so here are my thoughts. Um, first of all, I have a prediction for you, Bunny, and I didn't mention this to you yesterday. I have a prediction, which is that when you get to goal weight with Bright Line Eating, and I do believe you will, just like you believe it, I'm super confident of that. When you get to goal weight with Bright Line Eating, it will feel a little different than it did last time. And the reason is that you're doing it differently, right? You, you mentioned in, your, in the thing that you sent in that um, you know, how you were eating was part of the problem. And when you eat the Bright Line Eating way, there's, um, there's an increase in self-esteem that happens. And I talked about this in the previous vlog. Um, that was one part that I actually got right. Um, that when you do Bright Line Eating, there's a, an increase in self-esteem because there's something about writing down what you're going to eat the night before and then watching yourself eat only in exactly that that kind of fills up your tank of self-esteem from the ground up. Um, but another thing that's different about Bright Line Eating, probably, than the way you did it before, and you didn't say anything about the way you did it before, and I didn't ask you yesterday, so I have no idea what kind of plan you were doing or anything, but my guess is, just knowing all the plans that are out there, that you're more connected to people on this journey now, that you have a mastermind group and a buddy and a Facebook group, and, and that social connectedness really um, increases your self-compassion, because one of the components of self-compassion is like a feeling of shared humanity. And when you get to go weight, you're not just going to be an island floating alone, you know, in a, in a right-sized body with a bunch of sagging skin. Um, you're going to be um, one of many walking this journey, and you're going to have so much social support. So I predict that those elements, all of the ways that the Bright Line Eating system, the Bright Line Eating program is different than any other diet or food plan out there, um, are going to result in you feeling different about yourself and different about your body than you did last time. Now, I am not predicting that that's going to be a panacea and that you're going to feel, you know, perfectly accepting about all the sagging skin you have. I'm not predicting that. I'm just predicting that it'll be a little bit better and it'll feel a little different. That's all I'm predicting. But that still leaves the question of what do I do about all this? You know, that, and you sent me pictures, which was helpful. So, she sent me pictures and like there there's sagging skin you know around the legs and the knees and the stomach and the arms and you know um so one of the things that i think is going to be really um helpful as you get to goal weight and as you live at goal weight is and you and i talked about this yesterday bunny is um is focusing on and reminding yourself of all of the other aspects of life that are better now that yeah your body's not perfect right and it's frustrating and you know um with gratitude exercises you can just focus on all the things in your life that are better and with social support in particular um i think there's a there's a way that a lot of us when we do bright line eating a lot of us are disappointed in aspects of our lives or ourselves 
And in some ways, bright line eating can bring that to the forefront. So for you, when you lose all your excess weight, you're left with the question of the skin and the, the feeling of like the deformity of like, oh, this is actually worse. You know, at least when I'm heavier, it flushes out all that skin. Um, but there's other ways that something similar can happen to someone. So for example, someone could be in a, in a disappointing or bad marriage in some way. And when they're eating addictively, there's something very comforting and numbing about that. I'm not saying that eating addictively works, but it, it, it does work if your goal is to be somewhat numb <laughs> to the reality of your situation, right? And so if you have a marriage that feels like it, it just chronically lets you down, if you have a partner who won't show up for connection, for sex, for um, togetherness, if, you're, if you have a partner who's, who expresses contempt toward you um, too often and who is mean or rude or not thoughtful or not open to spiritual growth or just whatever, if you have a partner who's dis like fundamentally disappointing in ways that when you're open to it really wound you, then doing bright line eating can make that worse. Or at least you can be afraid that it will make it worse because if I'm not numb anymore, I'm going to be like, eyeball to eyeball with that with no anesthetization. <laughs> um, and I think this is kind of similar. So what I mean by that, Bunny, is that um, you can partner up with people on the Bright Line Eating journey who either, as they get down to goal weight, don't feel happy with their bodies, or as they do Bright Line Eating, have to live with and come to fundamentally accept aspects of their life, aspects of their condition that feel disappointing and less than stellar. And not to say that there's not things you can do about all that because um, divorces can happen and plastic surgery can happen and all of that stuff. But, um, you know, the, the task of sort of acceptance and coming to love what is as being exactly the way it's meant to be at this moment is I think a real, it's just a really powerful spiritual exercise. And it's, it's so much better in community. It's so much better to have a posse, comrades, running partners who you're just calling, texting, voxing with all the time so that when you have that stab, like on a summer day when you're looking to put on shorts and it's like you either have to well, I just want to say, actually, just a little thought that I had, Bunny, is that there are clothes um, that will still work, like a long flowing skirt and like sort of a gypsy blouse with, with three-quarter sleeves so you're not showing any of the upper arm, you know, and that can be made out of a super, you know, gossamer fabric so that it's still cool on a summer day. And I don't know if that's your style, so I'm just making stuff up here, so forgive me if this doesn't land, but... Um, uh, one of my favorite sayings about this is thank God for clothes. <laughs> um, and all of us, I think, when we get to goal weight, come face to face with the reality that we're not swimsuit models. And I know that's your, your, your situation goes beyond that. But um, the point is that clothes really do help. And if you have clothes that, that cover, being in a right-sized body and, you know, being at goal weight and wearing clothes um, feels great, right? So you might find that as you tool your wardrobe um, to be clothes that you feel comfortable in that aren't showing a bunch of skin, um, you are actually really grateful to be at goal weight. 
And I don't know how much you explored that, like explored ways that you could tailor your wardrobe the last time you were at Go Weight. Um, I don't know if you went there with, you know, ways that you could wear three quarter sleeves instead of short sleeves, um, et cetera. Um, but that might be a fun way to go too, and to invite friends on that journey. Like, hey, you know, keep an eye out for me for long flowing skirts online, or, you know, come shopping with me for, for long sleeve or three quarter sleeve shirts that are really light for summer or that kind of thing. So you could, you could play with that and see if you could make a game out of finding clothes that really do make you feel beautiful um, in your goal weight body. Um, and so, you know, kind of what I'm talking about is inner work, right? And you and I talked on the phone yesterday, Bunny, about how um, therapy for neither of us has really been that helpful, hasn't really been the solution. I mean, I got, I've gotten a lot out of therapy over the years, but really my deepest healing has not come from therapy. And I find the kind of excavation of the past that happens in therapy to, you know, um, sometimes be worth it and sometimes not. And you asked about the course Brightline Healing and whether it was like that, whether it was digging up the past. And I said, it's really not. Um, as a matter of fact, it's sort of the antithesis of that. It's coming home to the present. And in as much things from our past intercede and make it impossible to be comfortable in the present, we deal with them and address them. And there's tools given in Brightline Healing to address that. But fundamentally, it's a course about coming home and becoming comfortable in your skin in the present moment. And then systematically dealing with all of the things that make that hard, all of the things that block us from being at peace and at home in our skin and feeling grounded in ourselves, in our highest selves. And um, I just, I'm excited for you, Bunny, to do Brightline Healing. I think it's going to be a course that you get a lot of value out of. Um, and I agree with you that therapy probably isn't what is called for in your situation. It's not, it's not a, you know, a digging up the past. It's a, it's a saying hello to the present. So all that said, um, let's talk about plastic surgery. And I have, you know, everything I said in the video down below in the video that I re released last Wednesday, I stand by. Like, just in terms of plastic surgery not being a solution for someone's self-esteem issues. And Bunny, I, I just want to say I recognize that you do not have the self-esteem issues that I assumed you had when I thought that all you'd sent in were those two sentences. So I had a very off take on you from, from the truncation of, of your submission. But, um, but still, if someone does arrive at the present moment with self-loathing, plastic surgery is not going to fix that. You get that. I get that. We all get that. Um, so everything I said down below, I stand by, but you know, because I didn't think it was really relevant for you and now I've changed my mind about that, there's a whole other side to plastic surgery that I didn't talk about in that video that I want to talk about now. Um, and that is the ways that I have seen plastic surgery work for people, um, which I have, and it's worked for me. So I'm going to share here in this vlog for the first time at the public level, I think for the first time. I'm so open with stuff that I sometimes don't even know what I've shared and with whom, but um, I think I've never shared this before publicly. I know I've never vlogged about it, um, but I've had plastic surgery and I had uh, two procedures done when I got down to goal weight. Um, and they pretty much worked for me. Um, I, I say pretty much because there's, there's little ways that each of them kind of left me feeling still a little dissatisfied, um, but because I wasn't trying to fix any core dissatisfaction with myself, 
um, on balance, I'm glad I had the procedures. And, you know, any little lingering, it's not perfect is fine because life isn't perfect and my body's not perfect and nothing's perfect. So that's easy. Um, and when I set about to get my own procedures, I was in a great place. Like I wasn't trying to correct anything deep or fundamental in me. I was just trying to fix the physical things that I thought it would be nice to fix. And I'll tell you the stories about that. But, um, but Bunny, I just wanted to say that when you and I talked yesterday and you were like, hey, I might actually save money and maybe not every procedure needs to be done in the most expensive way. There's, there's less expensive ways to get things in other countries or, you know, just whatever. Like, I just want to say right on, like right on. I've seen your pictures and I can see how skin getting lifted and, you know, like there's so much that could be done. And I, I know you know that there will be scars and I hear you that like, you don't care, like that's okay. You would rather have the skin be tightened and, you know, lifted and, and the, I have a friend, Sharon, who got plastic surgery after losing well over 100 pounds, maybe closer to, I, I don't think it was close to, I, was, I think it was 140 pounds. And her breasts sagged so much after she lost her weight that they rubbed and caused sores. And I think her stomach also had folds that sagged over and rubbed and caused sores. And her doctor, not just with one letter, but with a series of letters to her insurance company, got her procedure covered, her procedures, her tummy tuck and her breast lift. Um, breast lift and breast augmentation and tummy tuck, all covered by her insurance because her doctor wrote several letters and she was so happy with her results. Just, it made such a big difference, you know, like as she was wearing pants, as she was wearing jeans, not to have all of that extra skin to tuck in there and it folding over and on a hot day rubbing and all that stuff. And um, yeah, I have another friend named Pat who got um, a tummy tuck that, that got done with a hernia fix. So he got a hernia after losing 200 pounds, 190. Um, he had a, a hernia um, and that hernia turned out to be his saving grace because as it got fixed, he got a tummy tuck at the same time. So it was much cheaper because it was all part of that same operation. And I believe it was covered insurance with, with insurance because his doctor managed to just call it the, the hernia fix. Um, so anyway, I don't know if either of those stories um, will result in, in you figuring out a way to get your insurance to cover some of what you want to get done. But even if you can't, I just want to say that I support you in saving up and trying to find ways to get some surgery done um, because I think it, it'll feel really empowering and I think you're worth it. And I think, um, I think it'll feel great. So what I had done was uh, more vain <laughs> than what you're gonna have done. For me, what happened was when I lost all my weight, I was 28 first of all, when I lost my excess weight. And by the time I was in my early 30s, my husband David and I um, went through a separation. And it was a legal separation, like on the way to divorce. He wouldn't talk to me for nine months. Um, and we were legally separated, which in New York State meant that we'd already divided up all of our property and assets. We didn't have property, but assets and finances and everything. We'd created a legal binding document that listed who got what. We didn't really own anything, but you know, basically, and uh, we were living in separate dwellings. He moved out, he signed a year lease on another apartment and moved out. And um, we had no contact for a long time. So I don't remember how old I was, 31, 32, whatever. And um, I was uh, 
on my own again, fully expecting to be, you know, a few months away from divorce. We were going to wait a year, which is the requirement in our faith that you give it a year before you give, get divorced officially. And um, with the extra time that I had on my hands and um, sort of the energy that was released, um, it's sort of just not positive or negative, but just energy, um, I was hitting the gym. And I was hitting the gym every morning. And I was lifting weights and I was running and I was, um, I got, I got down to 14% body fat. And just for uh, comparison, I'm today 23% body fat. So I was pretty freaking fit and strong and healthy. And I felt great. I was, I was sticking to my bright lines. I was not under eating in any way, shape or form. I was eating way more food than I eat today. And I was, I was feeling awesome. And I still had a thick apron of fat around my midsection. Now my body fat was so low that I was practically at like bodybuilder competition, rock hard, you know, body fat. And I still had this thick apron of fat around my midsection. And it was, it was around that time that I started to really reflect on my genetics and how my dad, no matter how fit he gets, has, um, you know, has a more protruding stomach. Like we do not, I, my family does not come from like flat stomach, <laughs> um, not genetically gifted in that way. And I thought, wow, this sucks. So I started looking into liposuction. And that's when I started to read as a psychologist, the psychology of plastic surgery and how um, frequently someone who's overweight will go to a plastic surgeon and say make, say, make me thin, like suck out all the fat. And they say, oh, no, 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 like liposuction is not for that. It's someone who's in a right size body and has one area that genetically is where they hold their fat and everything else is right sized, but we're just gonna get rid of that fat. And I thought that makes a lot of sense. And I realized I was there. So I looked into liposuction um, as I did the consultation with the surgeon, um, I realized, like, I went through this other identity shift, and this was partially because I was imagining being on the dating scene again. Um, my breasts had shrunk from a full C cup to a small A cup, like from busty. And I was always, that you know, when I was heavy, um, which I was my whole life, other than the hot second that I was doing crystal meth and got thin when I was 17, I was heavy my whole life, but I had nice leg 